Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. The New Testament book of 1 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians in chapter number 5. The Apostle Paul has received notification that there is a lot of things going on within the church of Corinth which is not pleasing to the Lord. Now, all the way up to this time, the Apostle Paul has been leading up to a lot of the awful things that have been going on. He's been acknowledging that there's divisions in the church, which was a very visible sign of the carnality of the church. He is telling him he's praying for him. He's telling him that he wants them to fix things. He wants them to be honoring to the Lord. Then he points out the very heart of the problem is that they're puffed up, that they're full of pride. But now we come to chapter 5 and we start getting to the hard stuff. And may I say that this chapter here, we're going to try to be as delicate as need be for a hard subject. Not only the matter ahead of what was precipitating it, which was awful. And of course, we have a mixed audience and we want to try to be as... Uh, proper in this as matter. But then we get to something very important towards the end of dealing with church discipline, which is a foreign concept to most churches. And we want to deal with it biblically. We want to deal with it correctly. And we want to do it in an understanding that people say, I understand why now. I see why this is important. I can see what is necessary. And so I want you, as we go through this passage, to be in prayer for the idea of your understanding, for things to be said correctly, and for us to understand how important this is that this is being brought up for the life and health of any local church. If you don't mind, let's look together in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 5. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and notice with me in verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you? For verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have I judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump. For as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. 
Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote of you in an epistle not to company with fornication, fornicators. Yet, not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or the extortioners, or with idolaters, for then ye must needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or idolater, or railer, or drunkard, or extortioner, with such a one not know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do ye not judge them that are within? But then them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you see a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 5? A 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and notice with me verse number 6, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And if you don't mind, we're going to hit a very important subject, a very hard subject. I don't want to say difficult, but hard because it's very straightforward. It is very uh, important. It is very serious. But we want to hit this as Jesus describes it and see why it is so important to obey the instructions given by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. A little leaveneth leaven the whole lump. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, we need much discernment to be able to discern this passage, to discern what it is saying, to be able to discern the consequences, the effects, the commands given in this passage for the purpose of the health and life of this local church, that we could have an understanding of what is going on and then come to a conclusion ourselves of how important it is to be in fellowship with a local church. Lord, I need your spirit in a special way tonight that you can do a work that I couldn't even imagine because we trust you. Lord, do your own work and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get to chapter number five, the tone and tenor becomes a lot more serious. The divisions were awful, but this is just unspeakable. Start with me if you don't mind, and we, let's look. Fornication among you. Fornication among you. There were many horrific sins being committed in the midst of the church of Corinth. You have people suing each other. You have divisions. You have pride. You have the misuse of spiritual gifts. You've got all kinds of things. But if there was one thing at the top of the charts of the most awful things that was going on inside of the church of Corinth, chapter 5 now listed. It starts off by describing that there is reported commonly, that word commonly is a key word here, commonly that there is fornication among you. 
Now is the time to define our terms. The word fornication comes from the word pornea, which we get our word pornographic, pornography. And it is used to describe any illicit sexual sin. So the general topic of fornication is any sexual sin that's done out of order, out of sight of marriage. Fornication is, covers it all. And notice it says of the church, not of Corinth, but of the church of Corinth, it is commonly reported that there's fornication among you. So could you imagine this, that a church of God, the first century church, a church that the apostle Paul helped start, that there is in this church commonly reported sexual sins among its church members. It's awful. It's wicked. It should not have been. And the church of Corinth was fine with it. Could you imagine that church where everybody knows sexual sins are going on? That here's a couple over here that are shacking up. And no one's saying a thing. That they're not married, but they're shacking up. That it's commonly reported that, hey, this uh, couple over here, the guy's sleeping with this guy over, lady over here. And no one's saying a word. But then to top it off, notice it goes on in verse number one. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much named among the Gentiles. There was a specific sin that's now being referred to that even the immoral Greeks, the Greeks who just allow sexual sins of any kind, that even the Greeks would say, no, we're not doing this. And it's inside of the church. What type of sin, sexual sin is done with the church that even the Greeks said, man, we would never do that. That's, we're not touching that. What is this sin that's done inside of a church of people that are said that they're believers? It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication is not as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. What is this? That some guy is actually having relations with his stepmother. Horrible, awful sin. That even the Greeks said, man, we wouldn't do that. That's, no. And it's commonly reported, meaning everyone knows it's happening. And no one's doing anything about it. Could you imagine what a testimony that would be in the community? Hey, that's, that's the church where all those sexual things are going on. You want to be part of a sex cult? Well, join that one. That's awful. It's wicked. It's horrible. And the apostle Paul is not happy. More importantly, God is brokenhearted. Because this is a church that carries God's name. And they're acting foolishly. They're acting just immorally. They're acting to a place where even the Greeks say they're worse than us. With their behavior and their sins. Verse number two. Now the apostle Paul is not addressing the person. He's addressing the church. Verse number two. And ye, the church of Corinth, are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Paul is saying, listen, 
You're proud about the fact. You are not doing anything about it. It's, it's not even done in secret. It's done openly. And people are talking about it. And you're not brokenhearted. You're not saying it shouldn't be done. It's become, <laughs> yeah, well, that's just Joe. And he's saying, what are you thinking? This is wrong. Again, he's not addressing the guy in sin. He's addressing the church for allowing it to go on. That no one's done anything about it. That no one's cried. No one's mourned. No one's done anything. They're just, eh, well, you know, it's just, it is what it is. Now, I understand in America, we just tolerate sexual sins. But it should not be said of that of a church. The lost world is crazy. They're going to be lost. They're going to act lost. But those type of things cannot be allowed inside of a church of a holy God. Because it doesn't line up with a holy God. This is a big deal. And the Apostle Paul is upset that you haven't taken care of this yourself. That I have to be called. Someone has to come to me. Tell me what's going on. And say no one's doing it. And I have to intervene. interfere. Now I have the authority because I'm an apostle. But the fact that I have to intervene inside of a local church. When you should have taken care of it yourself. Is just unbelievable. Paul is not happy. I mean the divisions were bad enough. But to have a sin so open. To have a sin so horrendous, having a sin so flaunted, and the church is just letting it go. By the way, most American churches let this stuff go now because they've incorporated the things of the world, the mindset of the world, and they're not taking care of it. Verse number three, the apostle Paul just lays down the law. He says, listen, I'm not there, but I'm an apostle and I'm going to take care of business. Verse number three, for verily as absent in the body, meaning I'm not there presently, but present in the spirit, I have judged already as though I were present concerning him that had done this deed. Paul's using his apostolic authority. He's saying, listen, I'm not there, but I'm as if I'm there, take care of this now. By sign the Apostle Paul. Take care of this. <laughs> Get it done. Verse number four. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is now building up this apostolic authority. Verse number five. To deliver such a one, meaning the man who was part of this sin, unto Satan. For the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse number five is a big, big deal. Do you know that we have the power to deliver someone to Satan? <gasps> we do. We have the power to deliver someone to Satan. Now, notice what happens to the person who's delivered to Satan. It has the destruction of the flesh, but notice this, that they are still saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning the person that's being dealt with is a believer and you can't lose your salvation. However, someone can be turned over to Satan to allow Satan to just do his work. Now, God wants to use this as a discipline tool. Meaning that the guy, the pressure starts getting on by Satan. We take our hands off, let Satan have access to the guy and allow Satan to work in his life with the hopeful purpose that the man goes, listen, 
I'm wrong. I'm, let me get this fixed. So what we're seeing is this whole thing is going to be dealing with discipline, specifically church discipline, but dealing with an individual that people cannot continue in sin. They need to be taken care of. And God wants to do a process to be able to work, to hopefully bring them back where they say, I was wrong. I need to get this fixed. But if not, it's still going to be taken care of because this is awful sin. Now, let me pause. How can someone turn someone to Satan? That's that we have so much power that we, as a New Testament church, as Christians, can turn someone to Satan. How can we do that? Well, it's quite simple like this. That you have your prayer list that you're praying for all the time. And you cross their name off. That's as easy. Do you know how important your prayers are? Every time you pray for someone, according to the Bible, God uses that prayer to work on their life to draw them closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you stop praying for someone, you're allowing Satan to have more access in their life. That's how important your prayers are. Your prayers can be life or death. But for this man who they've gone through the principles of church discipline, presumably, but this is so awful that it just bypasses it. You take care of this now or else. Or else what? Do we burn him at the stake? No, that's not what it's saying. It means that we tell him you can't come here anymore until you get this right. You're outside of our fellowship now. You're no longer a member of this church. You can't come here until you get this fixed. And then you're going to allow God to work in their life. You're going to allow God to use Satan as an instrument for the purpose that they say, I want to come back. And they're willing to get things right. This is going to be the whole heart of church discipline. But this is a powerful thing. Now, God doesn't want just to go kill this guy. He doesn't want to destroy the guy because he's bored. His ultimate thing is he wants the person to turn back to God. He wants this person to say, I want to get this fixed. But you understand there's more at stake than just this person. Which brings me to the second thing. Why is it so important that we deal with sin in the church? Why is it that we can't allow an individual to be foolish and do stupid, sinful, horrible things in the church and just let it go? Just let them do whatever they want. Well, notice, if you don't mind, the second thing here is that purge the old leaven. Purge the old leaven. Verse number six, your glorying is not good. Now, again, this church has been bragging about how spiritual they are. This church has been bragging about how right with God we are. They're so spiritual, they could tell the apostle Paul what's right and what's not right. They're telling Apostle Paul what God's will is. They're so spiritual. But they're not spiritual enough to take care of their own dirty laundry. They're not spiritual enough to take care of the guy sinning in their congregation and taking care of it. And he's saying, your glorying is not good. You're bragging about how spiritual you are when everyone's laughing at you because they can clearly see the horrible sin inside of your church. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now, 
Let's define our terms here. We have plenty of people who are bakers and cookers. But for those of you who may be very ignorant about kitchen devices, leaven is yeast. And when you take bread and you want it to rise up so it's nice and fluffy, you put yeast into it. And yeast has a chemical reaction to allow the bread to rise. And so when you want your peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you take your slice of white bread, you see there's all kinds of holes in there. The holes are left from the gases of the bread expanding. Now, I know that there's bakers in here. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'm just assuming that there's someone who's never baked a cake in their life. You never made homemade bread. You never wondered why the donuts are fluffy, okay? It's because they have to add an ingredient to make the bread to rise. Now, using logic... A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, meaning you don't have to put a lot of yeast, but when you put a little yeast, it doesn't just affect a little piece of the bread. Now, again, the bakers understand this. Let's assume that there's someone who doesn't bake. If I put a little leaven, it doesn't just make the bread on one side rise and the rest of it kind of stay flat. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. It affects the whole thing. All right. Non-baker people kind of understand what I'm talking about, right? Okay. A little leaveneth, leaveneth the whole lump. Now, in the Bible, leaven is always a picture of sin or the world. In the Bible, leaven is always a picture of sin or the world. So if you have someone who is getting away with sin and no one is dealing with it within a local church, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. That whether you realize it or not, that sin that's not being corrected will affect the whole congregation and will actually make the whole congregation less spiritual because we can't be next to sin and it not affect us. Notice as it goes on in verse number seven, purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump for as ye are unleavened, <coughs> for, for as ye are unleavened. So here it's giving a principle here that once something is leavened, you can't unleaven it. It doesn't work that way. You, you can't take it back out when it's already in there that you need to be a pure substance. And it's carrying the idea that you help make that church pure by getting rid of the things that are wrong. Make sense? That we start off pure, keeping ourselves pure before the Lord. Now, we know one of the instruments that God does that within a local church is by his ordinances, his ordinances. There are two orders for a local church. The first one is baptism. Now, baptism doesn't wash away my sins. Baptism doesn't make me saved. What baptism does is it's a procedure where people voluntarily go through baptism as a testimony that they were first saved. You have to be saved before you get baptized. What that does is make a church pure by only allowing saved people part of the church. So a church starts off pure by only, say, people being a member of that local church. Then the Lord's Supper keeps a church pure by having those people examine themselves and get rid of any sins within their life. So that way the church stays pure. Does that make sense? 
But when we have sin in the church that is not being dealt with, it affects the entire congregation. Now, what's going to happen is that the Lord is actually going to compare the Lord's Supper in this illustration. Notice at the end of verse number seven. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now, this is going to lead into the Lord's Supper. Remember the Lord's Supper, that we're recognizing that Jesus died for us by his body and by his blood. It is a picture. They don't save us. Those elements are not actually Jesus. We're not actually eating the body of Jesus. We're not drinking his blood. Those are pictures to remind us that he died for us. And even the elements that we use for the Lord's Supper need to reflect the purity of Jesus Christ. That's why when we observe the Lord's Supper, we use unleavened bread. Why? Because Jesus is pure and that leaven is always a picture of the world or sin. And Jesus is without the world or sin. Well, for those of you who may not be uh, people who cook much, for alcohol, do you know what is added to alcohol to make it alcoholic? An ingredient called yeast. The same thing that causes bread to rise. Once again, it is leaven. This is why we use grape juice instead of alcohol inside of the Lord's Supper to show the purity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he has no leaven. He is pure. And that these elements reflecting Jesus in his purity. And just like Jesus is holy, we are to be holy. Just like he's pure, we're to be pure. This is the whole process of the understanding here. Verse number eight, therefore, so because of the purity of Jesus, let us keep the feast. What is the feast it's referring to? The feast here is the Lord's Supper. We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper in several chapters. He's going to, he's just jumping ahead right now. He says, when we observe the Lord first, supper, when we uh, keep the Lord's table, when we observe the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's saying when we observe the Lord's supper, in fact, when we do everything as a church, it should be done without sin, without uh, these leavens, the leaven of malice, the leaven of wickedness, the leaven, but we should have the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, if you've got church running, uh, church that has sin running rampant, that's not being taken care of, could you honestly say that church is full of sincerity and truth? Not at all. We're to be a reflection. Those things have to be dealt with. We can't let them go on. And verse... <coughs> He starts off by using this sin, and it's an awful sin. It says it needs to be taken care of, and needs to be taken care of immediately. Why? Because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. That if you allow sin to continue on, it will affect the whole lump. That we need to have the purity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to deal with these things. Which now brings us to the third thing. Not to keep company with such a one. Not to keep company with such a one. Verse number nine. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Now, the Apostle Paul reminds the church of Corinth that he had taught him these things earlier. And he brings up another letter that he had wrote. Now, at this time, may I just give a practical observation that the Apostle Paul was probably frequently writing letters. Not all the letters are scripture. So we're not missing a book of Corinthians. It was a letter just corresponding, hey, 
Get this right. Don't hang out with fornicators. Don't what? He's reminding him, I've told you this before, but we're not missing a book of the Bible. Okay, just thought we'd lay there. That God did use some of the letters that Paul wrote as scripture, but those were different. Even Paul recognized this was something different. We'll see that later in 1 Corinthians. He could tell that God was in it, that God was doing something with this letter. And later on, Peter recognized it and said, hey, you know what? Paul's letters, those are scripture. All right, so we know that there were some of the letters that Paul was wrote with scripture, but not everything he corresponded, including a letter before he brought up and told him to get this fixed, not to have fellowship with fornicators, not those who are dealing with sexual sins, not dealing with those who had open sin, don't have any fellowship with sin. So what happened is that the Corinthian church claimed they misunderstood the, cor- the correspondence. We didn't understand what you're saying, Paul. So Paul has to write back and say, listen, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You didn't understand it. Now understand this. Have no companion with fornicators. Don't allow them in there. Don't have company with them. Don't misunderstand this. Don't hang out with them. He says, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or the covetous or the extortioners or the idolaters, for then ye must needs go out of the world. So what he's clarifying here is saying, listen, when we're talking about have no company with, a, with fornicators, we understand it's dealing with here inside of the church, not out there. Because if you were to hang out or not hang out with all the other sinners, then we would have to be hermits. We still have to deal with the world. And you have to learn how to deal with the world who's full of sin. It means if you go to work and you have people who are in sexual sins, you're not violating scripture. You're living in a world that we have to influence. What we're talking about not have company with fornicators is dealing with here inside of the local church, trying to keep things pure, trying to keep things right. He says again, verse 10, just to reiterate what I said, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or the idolaters for then ye must needs go out of the world. Meaning you got to be hermits. You can't be a part of the world because when you deal with people who are not saved, they're sinners. By the way, before you were saved, you were a sinner. And guess what? Now that you're saved, you're just a saved sinner. Amen. Right? We're not saying stay away from sinners. We're just saying for our local church to clarify, don't have company. with. He goes on and explains this. Verse number 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, that if any man is called a brother... Now, let's clarify, those who claim to be a Christian, those who claim to be saved, those who claim to be part of God's family, those people, but now I've written unto you not to keep company, that if any man is called a brother, be a fornicator, but notice that's not all, or or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one, no, not to eat. All right, so what this is dealing with is the idea of fellowshipping with them, specifically with the idea of the Lord's Supper, that they're not supposed to be with us with the Lord's table. Does that make sense? And that if they are those things, they need to be taken care of. They need to be observed uh, Uh, dealt with a sin. Why? Because the more that we hang out with them, the more we're going to start to sympathize with those sins. The more that we're going to excuse those sins, the more that those sins aren't going to bother us anymore. Verse number 12, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? 
Meaning that it's not my job to judge the people who are outside of the church. But those inside of the church, that's very much our job. For what should I have to do, uh, do to judge them also that are without? Do ye not judge them that are within, meaning within the local church? But them that are without, God judges. That's God dealing with them. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Specifically about that guy who's having relations with his stepmother. That No, that's not right. That's wicked. Get rid of that. But we come to this idea of church discipline. Now, church discipline is not practiced that often or that well anymore. And partly it's because we have a de-emphasis on the local church. I mean, right now we just have a hard enough time just getting people to show up to church. But do you know that the local church was such an important refuge? You know what a local church should be? It should be a sanctuary from the world. It should be a place where I got to deal with the sinners out there and I've got to listen to their talk and I've got to deal with them and I've got to have working relationships and I've got to be nice to my neighbors and I got to do with that. I come to the church to be with God, to get away from the world. I need this sanctuary. I need this help. And we understand a lot of people don't think the local church is that important, but it is to God and it should be to God's people. That you should say, I don't want to miss church. Why? I need that fellowship. I need to be with God's people. I need to be here. I need to be a part of something that God is doing. I need this sanctuary. And the local church was such an important thing that the threat of church discipline would be enough that people said, I'll get things right. Please, I want to be here. I need this fellowship. I can't get away from the world. Now, the Bible speaks a lot and gives the instructions of church discipline. It talks about Matthew 18. We're not going to turn there, but here's the steps. That if there's someone who's in sin, that uh, two people, two people, church leadership specifically, go and talk with that person. Listen, you maybe not aware, it's not right for you to sleep with your mother-in-law. That's not acceptable things in the church. We're not going to allow that. If that's not, uh, if the guy says, I don't care what you say, all right, then we take the leaders of the church, the deacons, the, the pastor, we, we deal with that. And we say, listen, this is not right. This is what the Bible says. This doesn't line up. Don't do this. You need to get this right. And if he goes, I don't care what you say. I'm not getting things right then what we have to do by necessity is remove him from church membership. But not just church membership because people can attend this church without being a member. We call it visitors. But the idea is that we actually remove them from fellowship. Meaning that we don't call them. We don't invite them for supper. We don't try to fellowship with them. For the purpose that they have to be isolated and separated where they say, I want to have the fellowship again. I want to be with them. I want to fix that up. I'm willing to get rid of my sins so I can be back in that fellowship with God. Does that make sense? With the fellowship of God's people. That church membership was important. So maybe we could state it this way. That the goal of church discipline is for that person to get right with God, to fix their sin so they could come back in fellowship. But do you know that's not the purpose of church discipline? The goal of church discipline is for them to get right. 
the purpose of church, church discipline is to protect that local church from sin. So we isolate that leaven. We isolate that sin. We isolate that thing so it doesn't infect the rest of them. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Does that make sense? Now this is key. This is important because there are times that we will have to observe church discipline. Now church discipline is not for the purpose of getting back at them. Does it make sense? But church discipline is a process for the purpose of trying to restore them back into fellowship with God. But even if they don't get restored, we have to protect the local church. Does it make sense? To protect the people so we can continue to be as right with God as possible so God can use us to be a light to our community. There's a lot more at stake. Does that make sense? Now, we live in a world that, first of all, local church is not a big deal anymore. But it was back then. And it should be today. It should be a thing where you say, listen, I don't want to willingly miss church, much less unwillingly miss church. I want to be here in God's... This, it's, it's important. And you need to come to your own conviction based off of what the Bible said that church is important for you. Now, we understand providentially hindered. Meaning that... For example, I was in the military. And the military, sometimes they made me work a Sunday. That's providentially hindered. That means the ox is in the ditch. I'm doing what I'm told. I have no choice in it. We understand that. There's people that work. There are whatever else. But if you're able to come, you should come. But my kid is sick. Does everyone have to be there to blow the kid's nose? I mean, there's a practicality here. That if you're able to go, maybe I could give a, a weak example. When my son was having seizures, we were told by the doctors for the life of him not to bring him around other folks because he was, or if he had a fever, he would have a seizure and die. Now, we know that wasn't going to be a permanent thing. So did my wife and I say, oh, well, we'll just stay home and watch it? No, we took turns going to church. If I couldn't make it, she was going to make it. We, we did something to make sure that we could get to that fellowship and be with him. And we needed that refuge until we finally got him clear enough where we could get him into church. Does it make sense? Yeah. Uh, again, it's a weak example, but I'm trying to show that you got to do whatever you can to try to be there if you can. If you got the flu, you got the flu. We understand that. We live in a post-COVID world. We, we're not trying to say drag yourself in in your hospital bed and whatever else when you're like leprosy and you're going to like, okay, we know there's a practicality here. But there should be a heart that if you're able to make it, you should want to be here. Church should be important to you that when you're a member of the local church, you're not here to sit in a pew. But God has a purpose for you and we're together. And whereas you may not think you need to be here, someone needs you to be here. You're the encouragement someone is looking for. By the way, if you're not here, we're all discouraged a little bit that you're not here. Oh man, I wish someone so was here. We want them to be here. We like fellowship. We like you. Isn't it nice to be in a place where people like you? I mean, that's, that's helpful. But if we're going to do what's right, that also means that we have to take care of sin. Now, we live in a legal world. We have in the Riverview Baptist Church what we call a statement of faith. 
And if you're not familiar with our statement of faith, we could give access to you one. It's in our website. We have church constitutions available. But our statement of faith says this is what we believe and things we can't compromise on. We also have in our constitution that if you violate this statement of faith immediately, um, and when we talk about violate, we'll define that in just a second, you're immediately removed from church membership. Meaning that if there was some guy that was shacking up with his wife, you're already removed from fellowship. And now we just talk to you about it. We're not, we don't have to do a vote. It's, it's done. And we're going to try to restore you and try to explain what's going on to bring you along. Does that make sense? Now, someone technically can believe in some, uh, disagree with some of those tenets of the church uh, uh, statement of faith, but you don't have a platform to teach it. Does that make sense? So if someone says, well, I'm not quite sure on the doctrine of the church, that's fine. Wonderful. You just don't have a platform to teach your doctrine here. Someone can say, well, I don't believe in the authorized version like you guys. That's fine. You're allowed to be here. You can even be a member. You just can't teach a class or teach your own perspective on it because this is where we stand. Does that make sense? And now that's for our protection because we live in a Sue Happy type world that we have to do things. But we clearly state this is what we believe and why. But if something happens, we're going to go through the place of church discipline and beg them, please get right. Please get right. Please get right. And we're going to try to do everything we can to fix and to work and to restore. We're not trying to punish them, but we're trying to bring them along. But when it's all said and done, we have to protect the church, the members of the church, not the walls, not the building, but the people here. And if there's gross sin going on, and if we allow it to happen, it will affect us. Minor example. We have the guy who's sleeping with his mother-in-law. Discerning people say this is wrong and this is right. But do you have some non-discerning people inside of the church? And do you have some non-discerning person say, man, this guy's, you know, everybody likes this guy. Look what he's doing. I guess I can go ahead and do whatever I want. Can that happen? Does that happen? You know what happened inside of the um, church of Corinth? Is that because they allowed this guy to do this? They started having church members who are hiring out prostitutes. That's, that's a little bit later in 1 Corinthians. You see a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Because it wasn't taken care of, people said, well, then if these sexual sins are allowed, I mean, if that's allowed, pff, I'm going to go do whatever I want. And you understand that is not good. Your glorying is not good. Now, I, I told you that this is a serious subject. But this is important because you need to be on the same page understanding what we're doing. That if we ever have to practice this, you understand what we're trying to do. That the goal of church discipline is to restore them. To get them back into fellowship. But the purpose of church discipline is to protect the local church. And we have to do that in order to be able to have the influence and in God's power and God's presence upon us. Does that make sense? Now, again, I'll be glad to answer questions and whatnot later on. This is more of a serious subject, not a ground and pound preaching message. But we have to understand that God has designed the church to have power. What is one of the reasons why we don't have power? It's because we tolerate sin. You go back to the example of Achan. Achan's one sin affected the whole nation. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. 
A little sin is a big deal and has a corrupting, um, a corrupting effect through the rest of the church. We have to take care of it. And Paul, as an apostle, is telling the church of Corinth, get this solved. By the time I get there, this guy better be handled. Or else I'm going to be apostle. Now, is he being mean or whatever else? He's doing this because he's trying to protect this church. He's trying to keep this church from falling apart and just, just totally abandoning God. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So what do we do with this? I'm assuming that you've taken care of gross sins in your own life. If not, I encourage you to take care of that. And if you need help, by the way, this isn't a mean type thing where we want you to hide your sin. If you're having a problem with sin, you come see me and we'll help you through it. Does that make sense? We're, we want to help you through it. It's not a, type, a thing where we want to drive it underground. That's not it. If you say, man, I have a problem stealing, let us know. We'll help you. I have a problem with pornography. You let us know. I'll come help you. Hey, man, I'm having a problem with drugs. Let me know. I'll help you. I'm having a problem with immoral thoughts. We'll let you know. Help you. Hey, I'm having problems because I'm starting to have the view of the world in the idea of sexual things. And we'll be glad to help you out. You know, we're not going to be mean. We understand we're all sinners. We all have issues. So we're not trying to drive people underground. I want to make sure that that's clear. So if you do have something, either we're assuming you've taken care of it or come get help and I'll be glad to help you. See me privately. Give me a call. I'll meet you anywhere. But we can't allow sin to go on. But as we go through here, I'm assuming and making an assumption that for the most part, we're not having problems with gross open sin. But we do the thing have a question. How much do you love your church? Do you love your church so much that it hurts you if you're not here? Do you love your church that you say, you know what? I need that sanctuary. I need that freedom from the world. I need to be there just to take a breath and just to get away and just to recharge and be with God. There's an old saying, it takes three to five, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You know what the Wednesday night service is? It's like the tent peg that keeps the tent from caving in. We need that just to survive, just to, the couple days that we have to be in the world. I need that rest, that, 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 uh, that home base where I, can, I can't be tagged, just to take a breath and to be with the fellowship. Now, we've all been sick and Praise the Lord that we could watch things on the internet, but it's not the same as assembling together. It's not the same as being with fellowship and getting the encouragement of other believers with us. How much do you love your church? Is it a big deal to you? And is it a big enough deal that if you had sin, you'd be willing to get rid of it just so you could stay in fellowship with the sanctuary? Again, for the early church, this was a big deal. Just the idea that they could be removed from fellowship was enough for them to say, you know what? I'm going to fix things. I'm going to consider my ways. It was that big of a deal. But if the case ever happens where we have to commit church discipline, you at least need to have a base to understand what we're doing and why. We're not doing it to be mean. We're not doing it to get back. We have to do it for the life and health of this church, but hopefully with a purpose that they will get right so they can be restored. 
And everyone needs to have an understanding before we come unto us what we're doing and why. So that way God could get honored and glorified. Some people have often joked that if America, if Paul was alive today, America would be getting a letter. Well, we don't need to be the recipients of that. We want to be the type of letter where Jesus writes to us like the seven churches of Revelation. And one of them where he says, nothing wrong. He says, keep going. I'm watching you. I see your labor. Keep going. Keep going. That's the type of letter we want. We don't want an Apostle Paul letter saying, what in the world are you thinking? We need to be right with God. A little leaveneth, leaven the whole lump. It is a big deal to allow sin to be in a church. It needs to be dealt with and it needs to be taken care of, but it needs to be taken care of properly. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.